Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everybody, to the Mike Abadir Show. It's Mike and Gino broadcasting to you live from Los Angeles, coming off of an epic road trip where we broadcast from Las Vegas, Treasure Island, for the start of March Madness. And that was absolutely amazing time, wasn't it, Gino? Oh, man, it was, it was a blast. You can check out the uh, the show in the listings in in the archives, uh, brain brain freeze right off the bat this morning. Uh, but actually, yeah, you go know, straight to the website to uh, www.themikeabadirshow.com, and there's a gallery, video, photographs, all that stuff that Gino's talking about. And also, him and I both have tweeted it out as well. Um, honestly, it was it was really really fun. But more than anything, the tournament was just incredible, um, exciting. We all got our butts kicked, to be honest. We all, we all probably lost a lot of money and got knocked out of our bracket. So what we decided to do, Mike, is we're going to do a second chance bracket now. We are we have one that we created on ESPN. The group name is the Mike Abadir Show, and the group password is Mike. And you have one. You can do one entry per because so many people just got destroyed. So we decided, you know what, we'll do another one. Hundred dollar Amazon gift card to the winner, and the winner will be able to come on and host a segment with us. Don't for, don't worry if you finish in the top the other contest. We're still going to give out all those prizes and everything. We just wanted to do another contest in addition to that. And before he comes on in just a second, really got to give a shout out to Caleb because it was uh, I tweeted about it last night when we had Caleb on December the 14th. It was a direct quote from Caleb that said, um, Here's your Cinderella to write down on a piece of paper. Nevada, NBA coaching staff, they will make the tourney and at least potential run to the Sweet 16. How about that? Caleb, I remember that. Spot I, on. I remember that very you, well. Because you, you asked him. We, he was just getting ready to go, and you asked him, Kayla, before you leave, I'm always looking for yep. like a Cinderella team. Can you give me a team who's got a shot maybe that's under the radar to make a little noise? And it was funny. The other team that he was talking about, too, was Seton Hall. They played really well. Uh, they, they didn't get beat by much at Kansas. They actually hit a, a late shot, I think, that – that uh, hurt a lot of people's feelings as far as the betting lines are concerned. But uh, they had a, a solid year, too. So great job by Caleb. I know when we talked to Dan, remember a couple of the teams that Dan was uh, was against? Xavier, he didn't think was going to make a, a deep run. He called them with an early exit. And also Auburn was a yep. team that Dan said was going to be out early. And both it, of them. Exactly. Exactly. So, Although I, I must say, I'm sure he's extremely disappointed, oh and I know guy, his brother. Know his is. brother's getting a lot of heat over uh, Cincy, and you know both the teams from the Cincinnati area um, have you know major letdowns, unfortunately. And I know that Coach Cronin's taking a lot of the heat, especially for letting up that big lead. But uh, you know, we'll we'll get some of uh, Caleb's thoughts on uh, on each of those games as I well. I think he's with us. Let's bring him on in. Let's do it, Caleb. I believe is with us right now. My good friend, you know him from TVG, but we have him on because a lot of people don't know what an absolute stud he is talking about college basketball. He watches all the games. He's reading all the articles. He's listening. He's an Indiana fan, but he is much more than an analyst of just Indiana basketball. And this is one of the favorite times of the year for Caleb. What a weekend last weekend, huh, buddy? How you doing? Well, guys, and like I say, for an Indiana fan, when they don't make it to the tournament, 
We were glad you had a chance to check it out, man. Caleb, you would you would have loved it. Just being in the heart of all the action, you know, they had the uh, the smaller TVs at the bottom with all the races going off, and the bigger ones, obviously, with the with the first round of March Madness matchups. It was a uh, kind of heaven on earth. Yeah, you know, I, I had a chance to go uh, two years ago uh, to Las Vegas for the first two days. The one and only time I've been for the tournament. It was incredible. I remember uh, Michigan State uh, got beat that first day to Middle Tennessee State, and just watching that, and uh, like you all said. Uh, the chaos that goes with each game. And I've also been there for a Super Bowl. You know, I went to one Super Bowl, and it was the old Seahawks 43-8 to in a cold stadium in, uh, in New York. So that was kind of a drag, to be honest. So the Super Bowl is a fun excitement, but there's really only one game, whereas, you know, March Madness doesn't compare to having you know, 32 games uh, with a lot of meaning in two days straight. Okay, well, Caleb, we know you don't have a ton of time because you got to get to work in just a little bit, and I bet some of the rain in Southern California might make, uh, might make your shift even a little more with – likely the uh, the cancellation at Santa Anita. Let's talk about the Sweet 16 that we have left. How about the craze up in the bracket, the South bracket, where we saw for the first time ever a number 16 seed, UMBC, defeat a number one seed in Virginia. Not only another, a number one seed, but a number one seed that was 31-2 and two and had a historic year against an incredibly tough conference. But Virginia goes down. Not only does the one seed go down, there is not a one, a two, a three, or a four seed left in the South bracket. So it's crazy about this, Caleb. A lot of people were talking about how Kentucky was going to have a really tough road uh, at the very beginning of, of, you know, just a week ago. It looked like they were going to have to go through a hot Davidson team, a hot Arizona team, then the overall number one seed in Virginia. Then they would have had to play either Cincy or a Tennessee team who beat them twice this year. Instead of that, they got a 12 seed in Davidson, a 13 in Buffalo. They're going to have a nine seed now in Kansas State and then either an 11 or a seven. And if they make the final four, they're going to play either a three, four, seven, or nine. They could legitimately make the finals without playing another top five seed. You know, they've been talking to Gino a lot about Kentucky and having somewhat of a soft road to the final four. But all I got to say is you can't blame them. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. Really? Nothing they can do about it. Um, and- you know, even, too, look at Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo took it to Arizona, being, you know, up by 20, and then Kentucky really had no problem two days later defeating them by 20. So, you know, the the belief system for Kentucky, I would rank maybe as number one. Uh, you know, Duke, of course, um, is right there. But the, the traveling uh, band that goes along with the Wildcats, I know it very well, is what makes them really special this time of year, plus Coach Cal. I mean, even if this isn't one of their better teams they've had in the last five years, it always takes a titanic effort to take out Kentucky. And uh, this game against Kansas State, I'm looking at the line. It's five and a half. I thought it actually would be a little bit higher. I don't think they wanted to make the line too high, considering they're a five seed that's favored in the Sweet 16, which rarely happens. But uh, this should be a breeze for Kentucky. I mean, I look at Kansas State, and they were kind of a bubble team um, the whole year, and they have over-exceeded expectations. I was happy they beat Creighton because some people might not know that Kansas State had to kick off their best player a couple years ago, and it was Marcus Foster, and then Creighton came and picked him up as a transfer. So that would have been kind of cruel for you know, Creighton to beat Kansas State with a former best player that they had to get rid of. So I thought it was poetic, poetic justice that Kansas State beat them. Um, that UMBC game, I don't want to say that nobody wanted to win, because everybody wants to win out there. They're all trying really hard. But what I will say is that Kansas State was far from asserting their will on a 16 seed, and Kentucky being the ultimate will asserter, plus it's in Atlanta. There's no reason the Tide's going to slow down now. They call it Catlanta, some of the uh, Kentucky fans. So the five and a half here, I think that uh, Kentucky strolls through the Sweet 16. I don't think that 
five and a half is going to be too much of a problem. Kansas State will do their best to slow down the game. Plus, Kansas State, you know, kind of a tough spot for them. Their best player, Dean Ward, has been out. Uh, he's missed the last three games. A stress fracture. They said he's 98% um, willing to play. So we'll see. Might, might be a game-time decision. But, you know, best player in flux for Kansas State. And Kentucky's just rolling. And that five and a half, I'll go ahead and take the Cats. Hey, Caleb, before we continue to look forward and uh, make some predictions, let's take a quick look back. I want to get your thoughts on some of the upsets that happened. Obviously, the one that got all the attention was the 16 beating the one, and deservedly so. But I was kind of intrigued by both 11-3 matchups where you had Syracuse knock off Michigan State and you had Loyola knock off Tennessee. Maybe a little bit less surprising because I think Michigan State was projected to go you know, uh, far, especially well-coached, and uh, they looked like they were a pretty balanced team. Syracuse is playing some of their best basketball, but between those two matchups and North Carolina getting throttled by 21 points, Arizona was looking like a really strong contender, and they got their butts kicked by Buffalo. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple that I'm missing, but uh, yeah, Xavier, I suppose, Mike, you, losing as well. Good, that was a which, good segue. Let's, well, let's I'm, I'm wondering going. which one do you think is the biggest upset of those? Which is the most surprising to you? Um, I would probably, I hate to say it, have to say maybe Arizona. I mean, Arizona, everybody was jumping on. Um, and, you know, they looked so strong with Aiden and Trier from the year before. And this is the year that they break through the Final Four. And then Sean Moe's going to lose his job. But then a couple weeks later, they won, they're winning the Pac-12. So, you know, Buffalo, the odds makers, as I'm sure you guys saw, only making Arizona a nine-point favor. They gave Buffalo some respect and some, some sneaky respect. But Arizona laying an egg to me was, was really disappointing. And one thing that all of those teams have in common, guys, they all lack balance. You know, Arizona didn't play enough defense. You look at the South region, three of the best defensive squads in all the nation, Virginia, Cincy, and Tennessee, were in that region, but they could really get cold on offense. Wichita State was too slanted towards offense. They had no defense. So, those, Xavier, same way. Xavier, if you look at the analytics, was a real phony team. I know Keeneland Dan um, pointed that out to you guys, but their defensive ranking was horrible, 59 in defense. The last 10 national champions have not been outside the top 18. So they had a number on defense, Xavier, that was almost impossible to win the title. So those teams that exited early, they all really lacked balance, and it didn't take but maybe one or two games for that to get exposed. And and as Mike was mentioning, we saw one of the big upsets in Loyola as we kind of just breezed through the South. Sister Jean, she's become just a phenomenon now, and Loyola is going to be playing Nevada now, Caleb, on December 14th, a couple months ago, you told us Nevada was going to make the Sweet 16, but I bet even you did not think that Nevada would be favored in a game in the Sweet 16. It's incredible. And you know what? Nevada was, was wounded going into the tournament. I mean, they lost their point guard who has started uh, every day since a freshman, Lindsey Drew, uh, about three and a half, four weeks ago. So, you know, they won their next two games and looked like they hadn't missed a beat, but they, you know, they got a guy off the football team after their point guard went down. And, you know, you could do that in the middle of the season. Then they get beat to San Diego State. No big deal. San Diego State was at home. It was a senior night. It was a four-point game. But then in the Mountain West tournament, San Diego State was up 55-25 to 25 over Nevada. And, you know, Nevada, I think, got it back and lost by, like, 20 maybe. They saved a little face. But, I mean, you're down 30 going to the tournament, and then you just lost your point guard three weeks ago. So they did run into two teams that can lack offense, and uh, both Texas and Cincy – couldn't come up with that offense in the last 10 minutes. But, yeah, they, Nevada showed their winning class and showed their grit and also showed their shot-making ability. I mean, I, I followed recruits from high school, and there's, there's not as many shooters out there as you think. You know, shooters that can really put it through the rim and can rise up and make difficult shots, those don't come live 
very often. And Nevada's got a good two, three, or four of them. Most of them are six, seven by design. You know, they've orchestrated that team to be all kind of, you know, they're, they're a little bit taller than average guards, and then maybe they're a little bit smaller than average forwards and centers, but they all have a linear size. And right now, with their point guard being out, basically everybody that has the ball in their hands is a shooter, and they're willing to rise up. So Loyola, Nevada, that really comes down to who makes shots. I mean, both of those teams are the top 20 in three-point field goal percentage. They can both shoot the rock. Nevada maybe has a little size advantage. Loyola maybe has a little bit more of a defensive edge to kind of balance things out. It's only a one, one one-and-a-half point game, most of the money coming in on Nevada. But um, it really comes down to who's going to make those threes because that's really the centerpiece of the game. I want to ask you about the uh, Florida uh, State-Gonzaga matchup, but before I do, two number ones are remaining, Kansas and Villanova. They're both playing five seeds. I think that one of these number ones is going to be knocked off. Does Clemson have a better shot against Kansas or West Virginia against Villanova? Well, I think that I think that the West Virginia Villanova game is a much higher game overall of both teams. But I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not buying Kansas. To me, Kansas has got no chance of getting past Duke, and Kansas has kind of gotten by on their uh, experience and winning edge. But they got a guy named Billy Preston who was supposed to be a seven foot blue chip five star center, and it was just a whole mess. I mean. He was missing class. He you know, got suspended for a little bit. He got caught driving this really expensive car. But then he left school and went to Bosnia to start his professional career. So their seven-foot, you know, trying to be Joel Embiid guy never stepped on the court. And their other big guy, who is now kind of an undersized roster, is Kona Azabuki. And he's really struggled with his injuries. He missed the last three games for the tournament. He didn't play the pen game. He got in there a little bit in their last game, played 20 minutes, but He's got a knee brace on, and the the guards have not gelled for Kansas. You know, it's either Devontae Graham's playing well or Newman's playing well. They haven't played well together. And I think this Clemson team, they've they've caught my attention. You know, Clemson is a team who's got a balanced attack. You look at their scores. They average 15, 14, 13, 12, and 10. So there's really no weak spot. Uh, A key guy to know is a guy named Gabe DeVoe for Clemson who likes to shoot. I actually looked up his three-point percentage starting as a freshman. 25%. 25%. Pretty bad, but you can get away with it as a freshman. Then 30% as a sophomore. Then 32%. And this year, 39%. And he was on fire there against Auburn. So I look at Kansas as a team who's lacking size on the interior, who I don't think can get past Duke. And with the four-and-a-half-point line at Clemson, I'm actually one to take a football school, which I, I usually don't do uh, in a spot like this. But to me, Clemson's got upperclassmen. They catch a soft number one seed. So I think that Clemson would be the one that would be much more on, on upset alert. I do have respect for West Virginia and Villanova. That should be a good game. But to me, Kansas is the one that I'm definitely not buying going forward. And what do you think about the path for the uh, Zags and Florida State up until this point? Uh, Zags sh- showed some uh, a gritty side of their play by eking out that win against Ohio State. And like you mentioned earlier, that Florida State perhaps beat an uh, overrated uh, Xavier team. But what are your, what are your thoughts about their path and, and this matchup? You know, some people forget that just last year, Florida State got embarrassed to Xavier. It's 91-66. So that was kind of a hidden revenge factor that Florida State had against Xavier. Not too often do you face each other two times in a row. Both these teams lost a lot. I mean, Florida State, Dwayne Bacon, John Isaac, uh, Rayton Mathis. I mean, we're talking about you know, NBA players. Same thing for Gonzaga, who turned over a lot. But this is a game where they always talk about matchups and guys – I think that Florida State's going to fall into a trap here because Florida State, when you look at the tempo ratings, they're the fastest team left in a tournament. 
they really like to push and score a lot of points. That's not what you want to do against Gonzaga because you're really playing into the strength of Gonzaga. I don't think they're going to change the game plan here going in. So, you know, Gonzaga, Sweet 16 the last four years, Elite Eight national title, Florida State hasn't been to an Elite Eight since 1993. So you look at the margins of victory for Gonzaga coming into the tournament. They won by 20 and 28, 14 and 14, 5, 30 and 14. And you look at Florida State, the last few losses have been by 8 and 13 and 20 and 15. So it gets a little lopsided. This is a really high over and under, and for good reason. I think they're score a lot of points. And I'm, I'm taking Gonzaga here with the 5.5. I think Gonzaga proves their class. I mean, they don't have any weaknesses. Inside, Jonathan Williams and Ryu Hashimura, plenty of size there. Guard plays excellent, Silas Melson. And definitely, guys, you're going to like Zach Norvell Jr. Freshman, lefty, kind of shoots with some cocked shoulders to the right. He's got a, an offset-type shooting style, and he likes to make a lot of threes from outside. So Gonzaga, super confident, complete team. Florida State's done well, but maybe uh, overstayed their welcome a little bit. I'm definitely looking for Gonzaga to move by pretty easily. Some quick hitters for you, Caleb, because we only have a couple minutes before we're going to let you go and before we have our first break. Um, so I think there are three games that left that we didn't really hit. We'll just get your quick uh, thoughts on those. Texas A&M, Michigan. I mean, I saw A&M early in the season when they were healthy, and they crushed USC. This is a very, very talented team. It is a very talented team, and I've kind of had my eye on Texas A&M, but there was a time where they were going to miss the tournament. I mean, they were 6-9. Yeah. and nine. A&M and the, and the SEC, and then the coach looking to maybe lose the job. And Michigan, to me, Michigan's like Nevada. There's two teams, guys, that made it to the Sweet 16, both with two poor starts. I mean, the tournament, you can't start badly twice and, and, and get onto the Sweet 16. You know, Michigan was down 10-0 to Montana, and then was struggling against a really good Houston team. Don't, don't be fooled by that junked-up low score. Michigan beat a good, worthy opponent. So this has kind of got a, a low-scoring game all over it. Texas A&M's got the size to really compete with anybody. You know, even your Dukes of the world is not going to physically impose Texas A&M. But they were hot, Texas A&M, against North Carolina. And they have to continue to make shots. And Michigan is a team that has played big teams well. Back-to-back days there in the Big Ten tournament, they took out Michigan State and Purdue easily. Both have a ton of size. Earlier in the year, they beat Michigan State in East Lansing, ton of size, did it by 10. And then also earlier in the year, Michigan beat Texas, who's got to be a top-five team based on size. So Michigan plays sizey teams well. They have a defensive identity this year that they haven't really in the past. So it's going to come down to shot-making. But Michigan, you know, even though stock's a little low on them and stock's high on Texas A&M, I'm looking for Michigan to make some more shots coming up in the Sweet 16. And real and, uh, quickly, just give us the winners on uh, Purdue-Texas Tech and uh, Duke-Syracuse, right, uh, G? Yeah, get Duke Hughes. Duke looks like they're they're like 11, 12-point favorite. Do you, do you think any shot Hughes wins that game, Caleb? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, the thing is, now the question is the 11-and-a-half. They put a high line. Think about this. If you have the highest line, Duke by 11-and-a-half, and the lowest over-under, 133, what's that telling you? They're telling you Syracuse won't be able to score. And just like a couple years ago, Syracuse, 10 seed, charmed run to the Final Four, nobody can beat the defense until – they run into a superior conference foe in North Carolina who had seen it before, had no problem with it. It was almost a 10-point line in the Final Four. North Carolina covered it, no sweat. So, you know, one thing about Syracuse, there's 351 teams in the country. They play the 345th slowest brand of basketball. So they're going to do everything they can to limit possessions. But that's not really, you know, um, 
a weapon. That's more of a defense mechanism. And against Duke, uh, Duke slides here easily by. The 11.5, I'd probably be tempted to take Duke in the 11.5. Syracuse might limit enough possessions to, you know, keep it just under. So I'm a little bit away from that line. But, uh, yeah, Duke looks to have no problem here. They've dusted them in their other um, matchup. And then Purdue and Texas Tech, guys, this is the one of the eight games where I'm just kind of, I'm laying out. You know, I think both teams are very quality. Um, Purdue, of course, lost their big guy, but Vince Edwards is their key. And then for Texas Tech, I, I like in Texas Tech and Keenan Evans to last year South Carolina and Sundarius Thornwell. You know, we didn't really expect a lot from South Carolina. I didn't really know much about him. And then Thornwell starts playing great. You're like, where did this guy come from? He's polished. Oh, by the way, he's a senior, just like Keenan Evans. So I see some resemblance there uh, for Texas Tech and South Carolina last year. That's a really good game. It's actually right there at the lowest line. It's about one and a half either way. So of the eight, that's the one that I'm kind of going to stay away from. Don't really have a strong lean either way. But uh, Texas Tech and Purdue should be a really good physical game. Caleb Keller from TVG, our good friend here and one of our college basketball analysts. We we get him on and we start talking college basketball. We never even really get a chance to talk racing, but uh, you can hear all of his racing thoughts on TVG. And you can follow him where, Caleb? Where do we follow you? Uh, at Caleb TVG. Awesome. At Caleb TVG. Thanks so much, buddy. We got through all of those games with you, rapid fire style. We always appreciate your analysis, and we'll have to bring you back on again sometime real soon. Thanks, Caleb. Guys, good talking as always. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, y'all. Take care. There you have it. Caleb Keller, a fantastic job delivering some March Madness insight. Let's take our first commercial break, and we'll come back with the Parlay Queen. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready for the latest sports news, the culture around the game, and unique insight? Then you need to make Kareem and the Coach your destination each week. Host Kareem Rush played for the LA Lakers and has the inside track to personas in both professional and college sports. Co-host Eric Newman is a former basketball coach and now a producer and filmmaker. Together they cover sports and entertainment in a fast-paced hour every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. That was just Caleb Keller from TVG, and we are lucky to have our first four-time guest. We love having her on. She gives 
great selections, wonderful insight, talking about the parlay queen, Monique, from America's Best Racing and Covers.com. How are you, Monique? Oh, I'm doing very well. I mean, how can you not be with all the action ahead of us? Uh, Doing very well. Very, very excited for tonight and tomorrow. Is this your favorite time of the year? That's so so tough. I always feel like all these times of the year are equally as amazing. I mean, she likes the bowl season, bowl season too, right? Yeah, it's so tough to choose because then you, you kind of have to choose. Is it either football? Is it college football? Is it, when is it? Is it the end of the NHL season? Like, when is it? But now's a, now's a really solid time. And then spring's coming around, too. So there's another little added bonus. But, yeah, you, you can't be. Oh, do you get into some baseball action, too? Oh, no. I mean, FIM, it's usually just, like, season totals. Uh, I mean, I love our Blue Jays. Like, you know what? I grew up. Uh, I was born in 92, so I was born in the perfect time of the year for the Jays. But it, it's tough. It's tough. I, I try to manage all my sports, know a little bit about everything. But, yeah, baseball is something that's hard to get into now. That just made me feel really old because I, I remember vividly seeing Joe Carter's home run off of Mitch Williams. And, and that probably happened the day after you were born. So, um, yeah, we can move on from that subject. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've got a... Uh... The next two nights, we have four games on Thursday, four games on Friday, and then we'll have two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And with you, Monique, what we like is that you're not someone who's just playing the lines in games. You're someone who kind of looks a little deeper. You look for props, too. You look for team totals. A lot of times, uh, I'll see you're playing um, player props in particular. I know in the NBA, you like to do a lot of the, the points, rebounds, assists, totals, things like that. So what's great is that you are kind of a new age better in that you're someone who's who's looking at games. You're handicapping. You have a you have an angle or you have something that you think you can exploit, and you don't just settle for a line. You'll kind of find where you can exploit that advantage best. So that's one thing that I, I think all of our I, I've noticed with a lot of our fans that have listened to you. They appreciate the way you handicap, and it's a little bit different the way you gamble on games than just the average, I'm going to bet this line or I'm going to bet this over under. It's a little more difficult with college. You, you probably don't have as many like individual player props and things like that, but let's talk about some of these games this weekend. How, uh, how do you look at the games um, coming up this Sweet 16 games? You kind of take it away and, uh, and lead us through your thoughts. Yeah, it's uh, very good matchups. Um, on paper, they're really good betting matchups. A lot of them could go really either way. I found myself liking, I guess, the most K-State at uh, Kansas State. I like them plus six. I think they're one of those teams that got to where they were from their defense. They held Creighton to 59 and UMBC to 43. I think having forward Dean Wade back is great to match the guard play of the much bigger Kentucky team. Uh, Unfortunately, if you're someone that plays trends and really looks into those, K-State is 0-9 versus Kentucky and 0-2 versus them in the NCAA tourney. But I think if they can secure the ball well and continue to force turnovers, they have a very good shot at keeping it close. But offensively, they must be more efficient. I do think the shots will fall, and I think six is – it was five and a half, but thankfully this morning I saw six. I feel pretty good about that total. Do you think they have a good shot then of winning straight up for the uh, money line players? Oh, you know, 
It's tough. I don't know if they'll win straight up, but I do think they'll keep it close. I think, I think they'll actually probably keep it really close. 70-68 is what I'm, what I'm thinking. Uh, it, it's definitely possible. You never know who's going to have one of those games where they just shoot hot and one of those games where just, the team comes out totally flat. But I think they're one of those teams that have been fairly consistent. I think offensively they've struggled, but defensively they've held them in the games. So, uh, yeah, I, I would more so lean towards the spread than, than a money line wager. Yeah, I could see a lot of times through I was hearing their coach talk, he was thinking, you know, if Wade comes back, even if he's not able to produce the kind of games that he had produced earlier in the season, it's one of those things that's a real pick-me-up to a lot of the players on your team, and it could just be kind of a galvanizing force for everybody there. Okay, our guy's hurt. He's going to play for us. Let's all kind of step up a little bit and play for him. So I think that I could see this game being close, but I, I think I'm kind of with you, Monique. I think this would be a game where I would um, I would play Kansas State, but I, I don't know if they could quite win the game. Yeah, absolutely. And even having him back, it's just another person to account for. It's someone that you haven't seen throughout the tourney. You don't really know the particular style that he's going to come out and play with. And, I mean, he says he's, he says he's at about, like, 98%. And, I mean, it is what it is. But what I was reading into it was, like, a stress fracture. So it's going to take a lot of time to prepare. But, thankfully, it's not any worse than that. But just having him on the court, I think, and like you were saying, just even for the rest of the team, is just a motivational factor. I think it can do them no harm. Right. What, uh, what other matchups are you looking at? I was, the spreads are very, very, very tough. For me, this tourney, I've mostly been doing in-game betting. I tend, I tend to see, I tend to find more of an edge when I can see which team really comes out, who looks good early, how the game is playing. So, for me, that's been mostly what I've been doing. Um, I do like Loyola Chicago, but more so their team total. I'm seeing 70 and a half. But for this one in particular, uh, they're one of those teams that seem to do most of their scoring in the second half. So I wouldn't be totally opposed to betting a second half over or looking into their team total at halftime. So I love the way they move the, the, the ball, they spread the floor. And there have been stretches in their last matchup versus Tennessee where they looked really dominant. They had eight made threes in each of their previous matchups versus two teams that are good at defending the three ball. Defensively, I think they have huge strengths, and I think their perimeter defense is super impressive. I don't know if they win this straight up. And with the spread being so low, it's one of those where you've got to choose a side. But I do think it'll be high scoring, and I think I like their team total the best. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, individual teams here, uh, and I'll pose this to both of you guys, have either of you looked or been intrigued by any of the readjusted odds to win the championship for the final 16 teams? Is there any value on that board anywhere? Anything intrigue uh, either of you? We'll start with you, Monique. I haven't looked at them updated yet. I was looking at to win region and all that, but it's tough. I think you're kind of better off just, especially if you don't like the chalk, you're kind of better off just money lining them or if you feel okay, maybe an alternate spread. I haven't looked into them, but was there anything that really stood out to you? Is there anything? Well, actually, I, I, I love that strategy, actually. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I've kind of been an advocate of that as well if you're not the chalk player, which is to uh, money line because the difference is you can decide to pull out when you want to pull out. So, but you're locked in all the way through the championship. If, you know, even if you're getting four to one, five to one, six to one, whatever it is for me, I would only look at something if, you know, you're in the double digits. 
Um, I haven't necessarily found anything that I love. Um, what the about only you, team, Gino? The only team to me that would um, I would play maybe more than one game would be uh, A&M, just because I think A&M is interesting. I think A&M is the type of team that is kind of a, a hidden seven seed. I think, you know, if you look at A&M, and I, I like their game in particular um, against Michigan. They're actually a two-and-a-half-point underdog. They started 11-1. and one. They beat West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Penn State. They beat USC at USC when USC was number 10. They beat Buffalo and then lost by three to Arizona. Then things started to happen for them. DJ Hogue was suspended. Gilder got injured. Wilson has been is now done for the year. Williams missed some games. Starks missed some games. Davis... Davis is a stud who was kind of holding it all together. That combination, they all missed at least three games. Now they're without their senior guard, Dwayne Wilson, who's done for the year, but they they have their other studs back. And, you know, it, it's like when you handicap a race, you got to go back and look at some of the games. You can't just look at the, the score at the end. You can't look at the buyer figure. You have to look at what happened in that game. Were they missing key players? Did somebody get crazy hot? Was a team in foul trouble? And in particular, you know, a game Texas A&M played Alabama and they lost by 20. But then you go back and look at that game. They didn't have Hogue. They didn't have Gilder. Wilson and Williams got banged up. And Texas A&M shoots two for 21 from three that game. So then you kind of understand, well, that's why they lost that game. I looked at a lot of Texas A&M's losses and they were very similar to that. I think they are peaking at the right time. They're a team that I might play a couple games, but they're a team that I would, I'll just start playing the money line, um, first of all, against, uh, against Michigan. You know, I think it's harder to play teams to go deep when, you know, like you and I, Mike, we liked Arizona. You know, we li- I liked uh, um, Michigan State. My final was Arizona against Michigan State, so it's harder for me to pick a team to go a little deeper when the teams that I already thought were going to go deeper aren't around anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, um what about some of the uh, upcoming NBA games? Anything intrigue you? Uh, well, we did. We did have one more. We, we did have one more for you from uh, Monique, right? One more in college that you liked a little bit. Oh yeah, I did. Oh um, please. I'm liking the Florida State game. I like the under 153 and a half. And my notes on this game: it's tempo, tempo, tempo. Um, although Florida State is lacking in the talent department, this is a super aggressive team that's balanced in scoring, and they want to push the pace defensively they'll pressure and I anticipate this could lead to some turnovers and diverting the pressure onto Gonzaga's guards which I think will do them a world of good. I think in, uh, defensively the interior defense of FSU is solid. They've held opponents to 45.4% from the two and they have 170 total blocks which is good for 23rd in the nation. So I think this game rests on how well the Zags will shoot and how successful they will be shooting from the perimeter. I think the total is very, very, very high because both these teams like a fast-paced, high-tempo game, and they can definitely put up points. But I do think that when the total is so high and everyone's expecting one of those tempo games, I think it could sneakishly be slowed down a little bit. And I think that the total is is very, very high. Like you're It's the highest on- one on the board, I believe. Wow. I believe it's the highest uh, over-under on the board It is for any the of their many matches. By far, actually, it's and and that's what I was saying is that everyone is expecting it to be one of those shooting fests, and I don't think people are really giving Florida State much credit, but they've been there all year. They haven't been they haven't been bad, and I think defensively they're super underrated. I like that one. I like that one. You only need a, a you know two or three minutes to stall, and uh, and unless it goes to overtime, that that wager will be looking nice and pretty. 
I got that down. Let's move on to the NBA. Anything uh, intriguing in the association? Well, NBA, we're at this time of the year where there's a lot of teams that are playing for a lot, and those are the games that I've been looking at more so than some of those teams that are, well, some of them that are very open about tanking. Uh, you know, looking at it, there isn't really a lot I like today. There aren't very, there are big spreads in a lot of the games, and for good reason. It's Well, the first one I'm looking at is Grizzlies-Hornets, and it's one of those games where how much are the Hornets going to win by? If you like the spread at eight and a half, sure take that. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Lakers-Pelicans, I'd say, is the most competitive of the games, and we all know how the Lakers are away from home. So it's tough. Most of my attention will be on the March Madness tourney today. But Yeah, that's where all our focus play is. The games is that's great. Right. That's I'll tell you what, though, that Grizzlies one could be intriguing a little bit because, uh, I mean, how much energy did uh, Dwight Howard uh, expend yesterday? I don't know if you guys saw that or not. 30-30. First to do it in uh, eight years and only the second to do it since the 80s. 30 points, 30 rebounds. Uh, don't Huge talk to me. About, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're going to start saying anything positive about Dwight Howard, I'm just going to smack you around, Mike, because hey, I'm a man. Laker fan. And we, I know he is just garbage. We can just stop right there with the Dwight Howard praise. <laughs> right there, just stop. I'm, I'm going to let Monique go before because I don't want her to see what's going to happen after we get on the break right now behind closed doors, Mike, because I can't believe you just started saying something positive about Dwight Howard on the show. Hey, he's been garbage since or- Orlando, but that game was huge. Oh, it's a garbage game and a meaningless game, right, Mo? <laughs> it is kind of a meaningless game, but I mean, you can't discredit the 30-30. <laughs> I awesome. that one. Buddy, give us your plugs. Uh, we're about to go to break in a minute, but let us know where can we find you. And on Twitter, it's, what's nice is that one thing that you mentioned, you're playing a lot of, in games. So sometimes you may not, you might not play something to start the game, but you'll notice something during the game and you'll post some of your live in-game wagers. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where if you have the option to bet in-game and watch a little bit and see what's going on, take advantage of it. Just the bets that are available for you, you don't need to lock in something early. I know a lot of people always complain and they're like, oh, why didn't I buy the hook? Why is it? Why did it close at eight and a half but open at eight? And and a lot of the time that comes into play, but you could really take advantage of in-game wagering. And I, I challenge you guys to take advantage of that, especially for these matchups where they are so competitive and they're very evenly matched. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Parlay Queen or covers as Monique. Love having you on and definitely four time guest. Yeah, keep keep her feet going because, like she said, during games, you may get some good insight. Thank you, Monique. Thank you guys so much, and good luck today. Love, oh, appreciate that. Love having another, the parlay queen on, and we're about to have the king on next. Let's take a commercial break, and then we'll have the pick six king. Stay there, stick around, and let's talk some horse racing. We'll be back in a quick minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, we're talking pig pursuits. With few season restrictions, generous bag limits, and plenty of opportunities, hunters never tire of burning some bacon. Joining us is Fred Eichler of Predator Nation, Hal Schaefer from Greg Zipadelli's Drop Zone, and Jerry Courtney, VP of Marketing for Ranch Hand. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We just had a great segment with the parlay queen, Monique, from Covers.com and America's Best Racing. We go from the queen to the king. That is John Stetton, the pick six king with PassTheWire.com. John, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, Mike. Um, good afternoon, Gino, Mike, and uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Absolutely. John, uh- it's been too long, Mike. I'm actually surprised we had we haven't had John on before. I was lucky enough to interact with John back uh, when we were working with Elite Racing Network. We'd have John on each and every Saturday, Sunday to talk about whatever was going on. John focuses a lot at Gulfstream. You'll see him kind of shift focus when Gulfstream goes up to New York. But what I like about John is he he's a handicapper, but he's a gambler. He plays the races himself, and he will focus mainly on the one or two tracks that he's playing because th- that's the best way to make the most amount of money. But um, what I love with John, too, when you go to PassTheWire.com, you will read all sorts of excellent columns um, just about different topics th- in, in horse racing. There was one recently about speed figures. I think my favorite one uh, that John's ever written was uh, about Ruffian. So really, really good stuff there. And, John, one of one of the most fun um, segments I think that we would do on Elite, we would kind of go through the Derby points and the top 20, 25 horses, and you would write and constantly update a column um, that you had talking about each horse individually, breaking them down, positives, negatives, if this was a horse that you might use, maybe a fringe horse. So I thought maybe we could do kind of a, a small version of that today, rolling through the uh, the horses on the points list. And it seemed like we hadn't really seen too many powerful performances, but then, like always, the last two or three weekends, we really have. We saw the good matchup with both Yoro and McKenzie. We recently saw um, Magnum Moon jump up with a real impressive performance, and then Justify, who still has no points. He was also pretty impressive. Um, so far, just kind of starting at the top of the list and going down with Bolt Dioro at the top. Uh, what what did you think of that Bolt Dioro McKenzie matchup and I don't know, what are your thoughts on those two? Well, um, you, you know, 
it's it's an interesting year. A couple of things I'll, I'll I'll point out. You know, as tough as the Derby is historically, and and we all know it, it's a tough race to handicap, and there are probably as many intangibles in that race as any other race that we deal with all year long because of the size of the field and the fact that we've got, you know, horses going a distance of ground that they have not gone yet. So, you know, that, that, that makes it more of a challenge than the, the everyday race we deal with. Um, but, you, you know, this year in particular, now that said, the last five years, the favorite is one. So the public is narrowing, you know, you know in the zeroing in on the right horse come race day for five years in a row. Um, this year is a little interesting because I don't think that anybody, um, and we'll go through them and talk about it, any, any of the ones you want, but I don't think anybody has really set themselves apart um, from anyone else. And um, I'll quote a line from The Godfather where he said, our true enemy has not yet revealed himself. Well, I kind of think the true star um, in this year's crop and in and, 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 and the Derby might not have revealed themselves as of yet. So, um, to, you know, I'll just preface my answer with, with all of that. Now, to the, to the mckenzie Bolte Oro race, I thought that was a really good race. I thought they certainly separated themselves from the rest of the field. Um, I did not necessarily agree with the disqualification, but that's probably a, a whole other subject. But going forward, my, my, my thought is this. Um, and I'm not going to knock Mick Ruiz. I don't know him well as a trainer. Um, I only know what I see in the form. But I do know, and, and it's just a fact that, you know, this is his first run at a classic and at the Triple Crown Trail um, and the Derby Trail. And that's something that experience helps with. So looking for a horse to move forward off that race, I think that you're better, better served looking for McKenzie with Bob Baffert, you know, calling the shots going forward than Bolte Oro. I'm a little concerned about Bolte Oro, um, you know, running out of training experience. You know, I don't know that, um, you know, Mick is going to be able to have him peak on the first Saturday in May off a couple of really strong efforts prior. I think he ran his eyeballs out and maybe ran a little hard, harder than he, than he needed to or should have a little bit, you know, too early. So that's my concern with him. I think going forward, I would be more on McKinsey's bandwagon than both the Oro's bandwagon. Um, and that's even if they're both, you know, of equal talent, I would still, you know, go with the guy who's got experience getting to the big dance. And John, let me jump in on that because I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing, but for you, is it in part a little bit due to the uh, Breeders' Cup race and, and how Boltioro didn't really bring his A game? That, that, yeah, that, that, that comes into play. You know, um, I was fortunate. On, on Breeders' Cup Day, I bet, I, bet, I bet the winner. I used the winner. Um, I bet against Boltioro and wanted to bet against Boltioro. And, you know, I think the bad trip helped me, helped me get home and helped a good, good match beat him. But I think Good Magic would have won even had Boltero had a good trip that day. Um, now, that said, um, Boltero fooled me um, against McKenzie. I didn't think he'd run as good as he did. And I'm not anti-Boltero. I think he's super talented. I, he just ran better than I thought he would. Um, but I think at some point, that lack of experience on, his, on, on, on the side of his trainer, and again, it's no knock on, on, on Mick. It's just 
he hadn't been there before. And, you know, I said the same thing about Antonio Sano last year with Lunavera. Um, it's a disadvantage to be on the Triple Crown Trail with a contender, um, you know, if you don't, you know, if you haven't been there before. And, you know, Bob Baffert said it himself with American Pharaoh, you know, going into the Belmont. He did a couple of things differently than he had done in the past, just learning by experience. So, you know, that experience helps a lot with these three-year-olds. So, you know, that's that's my main knock or concern with Bolt de Oro. There's a lot of people on his bandwagon. I mean, if he runs big in his next prep, he could wind up the favorite. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, I don't like to commit this far out, you know, because you never know what, what you're going to do on race day. But I don't think I'm going to be have him on any of my tickets. It's probably you know, easiest if we go grouping-wise. We can kind of group by uh, by the, some of the preps because we would love to sit. This is probably a podcast we could do a two- or three-hour podcast on, John. And uh, as we get closer to the Derby, we'll probably have to have you back on again so we can really maybe do even longer as uh, as we know what the field looks like. But this weekend, Absolutely. we're going to have the, Louisi- the Louisiana Derby. We'll kind of go through who is uh, sh- supposed to be running in this one. Bravazo, who's number three on the points list. Noble Indy, Marmelo, Give Me a Minute, Retirement Fund, Snapper Sinclair, Lone Sailor, My Boy Jack, Dark Templar. Uh, I think that's basically the, the field that will be running this weekend in the Louisiana Derby. Any of those horses high on your list or horses that are intriguing to you or it's kind of what are your overall thoughts of this group? Okay. Um, I don't think the Derby winners running in the Louisiana Derby. Um, the horse that intrigues me the most is the horse Doc Templar on the outside. I think he's got the most upside in that bunch, but I don't think that we may see that until a lot later in the year. If he can sit off the pace and, and doesn't get, you know, carried too wide into that first turn and even the second turn, I think it can be very dangerous on Saturday. Um, I think Tom Amos's horse, Lone Sailor, is kind of, underrated and can 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 make some noise in that race but again i don't think that that's the upper echelon of the three-year-olds so i you know if i had a bet i would bet that the derby winner is not in that field on saturday florida derby will be uh the the next big prep promises fulfilled was a horse that i know you had a, a very nice day when that one won you were uh, in a pick five sequence where i think you had promises fulfilled and good magic and uh, you you sniffed that race out pretty well. Strike Power, Audible, Promises Fulfilled, Catholic Boy, Storm Runner, King Zachary look to be running in a kind of a compact, but it looks like a pretty contentious Florida Derby group that'll be lining up. Yes. Um, first thing I'll say is, is Audible. He's another horse who's very high on a lot of people's lists, not mine. Um, I agree that the Holy Bull was an impressive race. But a mile and a sixteenth at Gulfstream early in the year, where we know Todd Pletcher has all his horses cranked up, is very different than the first Saturday in May. That race is run with the short finish line. Um, it's a deceptive race. Um, I don't know that it translates to a horse you want at a mile and a quarter, you know, later in the year. So I'm I'm kind of against him, and probably will be even if he runs well um, a week from Saturday in the Florida Derby. King Zachary is very intriguing to me. Um, I'm looking for up-and-comers. Of, of, of the ones that have kind of shown us what they can do, I'm looking for a much better race from Catholic Boy. Um, I think he's a very talented horse, and I think he's got, 
he's got more to show us, and I think he's just kind of adapting, still adapting from the turf to dirt um, transition that he's made and, and has made successfully already. But I think there's still, you know, more gas in the tank there. And although that's also an, uh, a young, inexperienced trainer, he worked for Todd Fletcher for a long time, so he's got a lot of experience with good horses. So I'm looking for a big race from him. I'm looking for King Zachary to improve and maybe, you know, even though he's right out of a maiden show that he belongs, um, you know, on the trail and with a shot. Well, let's kind of go in order. And what we'll do is we'll hit the bluegrass and the wood because we only have about three or four minutes left. And then we'll save okay. those last couple preps, John, and we'll bring you back in a few weeks when we know what the fields look like for the Santa Anita Derby and the Arkansas Derby. We'll bring you back on and we'll just kind of handicap those races with you since we know what Absolutely. those fields look like. So let's, uh, bluegrass probables, we've got Machismo, Free Drop Billy, Flame Away, Quip, who won the Tampa Bay Derby, Storm Runner, Gronkowski, Good Magic, um, they look like a group that might be headed to the bluegrass, so what are your thoughts mainly on Blue Mag- uh, Good Magic and any of the horses that might be headed to that bluegrass? Well, I think, I think all with the exception of Good Magic are pretenders um, when it comes to the derby, and Good Magic may wind up in that group as well. Um, he's going to have to show me that he's gone forward from two to three. Have not seen that yet. Um, have a lot of faith in Chad Brown, but I'm going to need to see it on the racetrack. Otherwise, that sounds like uh, another bunch of pretenders. And then in the wood, the probables for this uh, Solomini, Guido, Old Time Revival, Forensi Fire, Vino Rosso, Enticed, Quip, Gronkowski, Westerdale. These are early probables. Some of the horses are you know, might be horses that could be going to the Bluegrass or any Derby, Arkansas, back and forth. But this is kind of what the group looks like. Um, any one of those horses or any of those intrigue you at all? Yes. And, uh, again, our true enemy has not revealed himself. Um, he do intrigues me. Um, I want to see what he can do on the, on, the, on the dirt. I think he's a very talented horse. And I am thrilled that, you know, they elected to give him a shot on the dirt and give him a shot to make the Derby field. Um, And I'm very intrigued by him. I want to see what he can do in that race. The pick six king, John Stetton. We just got just a little teaser just to set the mood because we're we're just coming up on the last round of big preps now for each of the racetracks. So we will have you back on again. Let's plan on maybe two or three weeks from now, John. We can then have a much better idea of what that points uh, top 20 will look like. And then we can hit those last prep races one more time. Why don't you let all the folks out there know where can we find you on Twitter, on Facebook, and your website? Um, well, my website is pastthewire.com. Um it has, it, ha- it has my weekly column on racing and a lot of other things. If you want to check that out, um, at Jonathan Stetton on Twitter, at Pass the Wire on Twitter, um, and, uh, you know, Jonathan Stetton and at Pass the Wire on Facebook as well. And there's plenty of horse racing. <laughs> that's just about all it is is horse racing, you know, 24-7. So uh, that's, that's the best place to find me. You can email me there, contact me there. Um, you can subscribe to the column, get it right to your email every week. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the best place to get me. Outstanding. That Well, I know where I'm going to start my uh, handicapping for all of these prep races. Appreciate you coming on with us, John. That was a, a good insight there. And uh, I took my notes. Hopefully others did as well. Be a little bit better prepared as we approach our wagers for these next consecutive weekends. Appreciate it, John. No, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Okay, Thanks, John. you too. 
That was good stuff, Gino. Let's remind everybody that uh, we have a last second contest, a second chance contest for the remaining 16 teams in the Sweet 16. And go to our bracket, the Mike Abadir Show bracket on ESPN.com. We've sent out links. We'll continue to send out links. The password on that is Mike with a capitalized M, lowercase I-K-E. And uh, good luck to all. And we'll have a good show next week for you. We are efforting to finalize the comedian that does the uh, film reviews for Jimmy Kimmel, Yaya. So that should be a fun time, Gino. And some baseball talk, too, because the baseball season's going to be underway. So, yeah, absolutely. So it should be good stuff. So have a great sports weekend, everybody. Enjoy the continued March Madness. And we will see you same time, same place next week. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.